I have not been this excited about a sermon in a long time. I'm excited about every sermon. Uh, I, I'm excited about every message that we have together. And um, kind of my style um, is, I guess, maybe a little newer. I, I'm not like one of these. I was raised in an environment. This is, I guess, confession's good for the soul, right? I was raised in an environment where it was a little bit of, well, not a little bit, a lot of fire and brimstone preaching. And I did not like that. And um, so I like to preach in an expository way, which means simply this. That might not mean anything to to you, but uh, to where we we unpack uh, Scripture together. And we want the Bible, the the Word, to do the work, right? I'm not going to try to add anything. not going to try to take anything, anything away from it. Um, and so that's what, that's, what I, that's what I feel is the correct way uh, to teach and preach uh, Scripture. So here's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to, do, to have a, our time, we're going to study an entire book of the Bible this morning. Now some of you are panicking. I see that look of panic. You're like, we're going to study an entire book of the Bible this morning? Like, Adam, have you entirely lost your mind? Well, maybe, maybe I have, uh, but we're going to unpack an entire book of the Bible this morning. Here, as we do this together, I want us to imagine something. I've said this before. I want us to imagine together that we're all sitting together in a living room on couches together. We have our Bible, and we're just opening our Bible, and maybe there's a fireplace there with, some, with, a, with a fire in it, and maybe uh, your favorite hot beverage is there in a mug, whether that's coffee or hot chocolate or whatever, you know, tea, for those of you really tea drinkers out there. Uh, and we're just sitting there together, and we're studying the Word of God together. I want that to be our approach this morning, and not just this morning, but every, every time we gather together. This year of 2017, almost at 16, of two, 2016, we went through the entire Bible. We hit highlights of the, the, the journey through redemptive history. We looked at a big picture of the Bible. Well, this year, we're going to narrow in much more in depth. Like starting next week, we're going to start, for the next six or seven weeks, we're going to study the chapter of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, in my opinion, this is my opinion, take it for whatever it's worth, my opinion, Romans chapter 8 is the richest, most packed, full of spiritual truth of any chapter in the entire Bible. If you could take the entire Bible and pack it into one chapter, that's Romans chapter 8. And so we're going to study that chapter together for about six or seven weeks. But also, here's what we're going to do as a faith family in 2017. And you might think I'm really insane for this. We're going to memorize Romans chapter 8 together as a faith family. You think, you may say, Adam, I am not a memorizer. That is a lie. Don't believe that lie. You are a memorizer. You got here this morning. You drove from your house to this campus, and you can memorize. It can be done. So we're going to read, memorize Romans chapter 8 as a faith family this year. You say, Adam, that's impossible. No, it's not. There's 52 weeks in this year of 2017. Romans chapter 8, there's 39 verses in that chapter. So that's less than one verse a week. Romans 8.1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's simple enough, right? 
We can memorize that this week. Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I was in seminary, I memorized. I thought I was not a memorizer. I believed that lie. But in my first year of seminary, I took a class called Spiritual Formation, and we had to memorize Romans chapter 8 in a semester. And I thought that was going to be an impossible task, and I memorized it. And folks, it changed my life. Changed my life. And so I want to share that with you, and I need to brush up on it too, Romans chapter 8. So we're going to memorize that together. And then we're going to also, in 2017, we're going to read the Pauline epistles together. How many of you, I thought about having you come up here and brag, but we're not going to do that this morning. How many of you made it through the entire Bible through this year? How many of you did it? Wow. Awesome. That is terrific. I am so excited. I didn't think we were going to have that many. That is terrific. If you haven't finished yet, it's all right. That's all right. You keep going. But we're going to read the Pauline epistles this year of 2017. We're going to marinate in the theology of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to do that this morning in one of his books. And that is the book of Philemon. So if you would take your Bible, if you have a Bible, and if you don't, there's one there in the pew, or hopefully there's someone next to you. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Philemon. And I'm going to give you a few extra seconds to find it. Because it's a tiny little book tucked in between Titus and Hebrews. If you need to look in the front of your Bible and look for the page number, that is okay. You can cheat. Actually, I had to do it this morning on the front pew because I was like, oh yeah, I didn't set the ribbon uh, out of my preaching Bible. I didn't put the ribbon there. And so I was like, and so just real quickly, I, I cheated this morning. I was like, okay, what page number is it? Because I'm using a little bit different Bible than I typically do. And so we're going to unpack, we're going to look at this book of Philemon. How many of you have been to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? How many of you have been there before? Okay, when I think of Philly, I think of the movie Rocky. That's what I think of when I think Philadelphia. But how many of you have been to Philadelphia? You've been there. Okay, a, f- a few of you have. Well, Philadelphia was founded in 1682. Anyone know who founded Philadelphia? William Penn. A guy by the name of William Penn in 1682. And the name of Philadelphia comes from the Greek word, two Greek words, of philos, philos which means love, and Adelphos, which means brother. So Philadelphia, you combine that together, and it's called brotherly love, or as the city of brotherly love. But haven't you ever noticed that Philadelphia has really never lived up to its namesake? They've never really lived up to their name. In 1844, there were riots in Philly, and 200 people had to be removed from their homes Buildings were burned, homes were vandalized because the issue of the Bible being read in homes, they were fighting about it. Then Philadelphia has also had a long history of gang activity, the mob, they've had issues with the mob in Philadelphia. And then I think the, the, the key moment in the history of Philadelphia, and I hope there's no one here from Philadelphia because they might be really offended, but to me the, the, the biggest illustration of Philadelphia not living up to its namesake was when they booed Santa Claus. Because in 1968, the Philadelphia Eagles and Minnesota Vikings, they were playing two days before Christmas. 
And at halftime of that NFL game between the Vikings and the Eagles, Santa Claus, there was a guy in the stands dressed up as Santa Claus. The Eagles weren't very good. And so uh, the, the PR department from, for the Philadelphia Eagles thought, well, let's have this guy dressed up as Santa Claus to cheer the crowd up. I guess the Vikings were really putting a beating down on the Eagles. We'll have him walk across the field, wave at the crowd, and surely... Surely everyone will be happy to see Santa. And so this guy, dressed up as Santa Claus, came out onto the field and waved to the crowd. And what did they do? They booed Santa Claus. Philadelphia has been ranked as high. They are ranked right now as the sixth most dangerous city in the United States. So the reality is that though the city of Philadelphia is nicknamed the city of brotherly love, they have not exactly lived up to its billing. And here's the reality. We laugh at that. We kind of poke fun at Philadelphia, though they have really good cheesesteaks. We poke fun at Philadelphia for that. But the sad reality is this, is that we who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, we are expected to be people of love, people of unity, people of reconciliation, and oftentimes, people who claim to be Christians act in the exact opposite way. We don't live up to our namesake. Research has found, I found this, research has found that people in my age bracket, and I'm barely in this age bracket anymore, but in my age bracket between 18 and 30 are leaving churches in droves. People in my age bracket, 18 to 30, are leaving the church in droves because of infighting and dysfunction within the church. We're just not going to have it. Millennials, we're just not going to have it. We don't have time for that. And quite frankly, no generation should have time for that. And we as Christians, though we may have the title of brotherly love, that is not always the reality because what happens there are church splits all across the world over ticky-tack issues, over the color, the color of carpet, over music style. Brothers and sisters in Christ will have nothing to do with one another and will show absolute disrespect to each other because of differences in preferences, church schedules, and personality differences. But here's what Jesus said. What did Jesus say about this? In 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Jesus said, Beloved, or the, the Apostle John wrote, he said, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 34-35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciple. That is why we do the longest night. And so people will know that we are his disciples. In John 15, Jesus said again, This is my commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus said. Do what I command you. And so we hear these things, we understand the truths throughout the New Testament, and then we come to this little book of Philemon. This is tiny little book tucked in between Titus and Hebrews. 
where the Apostle Paul, the writer of Philemon, instructs us as believers to take our love to a deeper level by focusing our, inten- our attention on reconciliation and relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ. Because here's the reality. One of the marks of a person that truly is a believer, that truly is a Christian, is someone who's willing to reconcile and maintain relationships with, with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this morning, in your worship guide, you see some notes. You have a, a fill-in-the-blank. We've had a little bit of trouble with the PowerPoint. We can't get the fill-in-the-blank notes to be there. So I'm going to help us walk through these fill-in-the-blank notes so that way you can go home and you can say, I know the book of Philemon. So we come to Philemon and we need to understand that the first, first blanks there, the theme of Philemon is re- reconciliation between Christians. Reconciliation between relationships between Christians. And then the next blank there, the author of Philemon is the Apostle Paul. Is Paul. So here's the really cool thing in reading a, the book of Philemon is that Paul wrote this, as he often does, all his writings. This book of Philemon is not like a book. It reads like a letter. And this letter is to someone else. And it can be re- read as if it's written to us. And we do that with this letter. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter to someone. The book of Philemon, so who's this letter written to? The book of Philemon is written to Philemon about Onesimus. So Philemon is written to Philemon about Onesimus. So obviously this book of the Bible is named after this guy Philemon. Because it's a letter written to him. But it's not really written about Philemon It's about an issue he has with someone named Onesimus. So who is Onesimus? Who is this guy? Onesimus is a slave. We're going to meet Onesimus here in just a second. Onesimus is a slave. He's a slave who was owned by Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy slave owner who lived lived in in the city of Colossae. You might know that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Colossae. And what was the name of that letter? Colossians. Good, Colossians. He wrote a letter to the Colossians. So it's very possible that with Philemon living in Colossae, he was one of the recipients of the book of Colossians. Now, what is the issue that they're going to have to work through here? Onesimus, a slave, had stolen from Philemon. He had stolen from him and ran away. So Onesimus is a runaway slave. And slavery is a dominant issue in Philemon. Now, let's just push pause here for a second. The book of Philemon has been used in the past by liberal theologians to discredit the Bible. To make the claim that the Bible is not inerrant. Because they say, well, the Apostle Paul, he never condemns slavery, so the Bible must apparently say that slavery is okay. That is not the point of Philemon. And whenever the Apostle Paul or any writer of the Bible addresses the issue of slavery, it's never to address the issue of slavery. They take a common cultural practice to teach a spiritual truth. That's not the point here. Now, we can know that while we we see the broad, big picture of the Bible, that God values human life. And slavery does not value human life. 
So we can know, we can have confidence that God is not for slavery. That the Bible is not saying slavery is okay. So don't allow allow some liberal theologian to try to use the issue of slavery to discredit the inerrancy of Scripture. So slavery is a dominant issue in Philemon, but the issue here is about a relationship. And so we're going to see that in just a minute. So all this is going to take place in the middle of Roman history. The Roman Empire, right in the middle of the Roman Empire. My, one of my favorite movies, I think I've said this, my favorite movie of all time is Gladiator. I love Gladiator with Russell Crowe, right? I mean, he's a man's man in that movie. I love the movie of, of Gladiator, of Russell Crowe. And, and right there in the middle of the Roman Empire. Well, this is what was taking place. The Romans had conquered most of the known world. The Romans had reduced whole populations of people to slaves of the, of the empire. And some slaves were very valuable. Some slaves were valuable if they were artists or scholars or musicians. I would have been in big trouble. But others were no different than livestock. And being a slave like Onesimus was a terrifying lifestyle. He had no will of his own. He knew the fear of being beaten and the terror of the possibility of death by crucifixion. And though he belonged to a kind slave owner in Philemon, because Philemon's a believer, there was always the possibility of being sold to another slave owner. There was always the possibility of him being separated from his wife and his children and fall into the hands of a cruel slave owner. So slavery was a horrible lifestyle. And and, Folks, let me just say this as a side note. I believe that one of the greatest tragedies in our nation's history, next to the killing of innocent babies through abortion, the second most tragic thing in our nation's history is our, the, 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 the history of slavery in our nation. And racism of any kind does not belong in the family of God. God hates racism And we as the church should have absolutely zero tolerance for it. So Onesimus has stolen from Philemon. He's a runaway slave. And if he would have been caught, if Onesimus gets caught, he would likely be put to death. That was the penalty for being a runaway slave. But now here's what's interesting. Again, this is all just background and story before we dive into Philemon. Here's what is so amazing. And what amazes me about the character of God God, who's in total control of this situation, God is sovereign, places Onesimus in the right place at the right time where he comes in contact with the Apostle Paul. Nothing happens by accident with God, does it? So Onesimus, this runaway slave, comes into contact with the Apostle Paul. And what does the Apostle Paul do? As he always does. He shares the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus is gloriously saved. But now, after Onesimus, his salvation, he's going to be instructed to go back to Philemon, his slave owner. That is no small thing. That is a big deal. Because if he goes back, Philemon has the option to give him the death penalty. But right before Paul sends Onesimus back, he's going to send him with a letter. And we have this letter right here in the book of Philemon. So let's take a look at it here. Let's read verses 1 through 3. It says this. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apaphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul starts this book out like he does almost every book that he writes, every letter he writes, with a greeting. And then he addresses a few people, and in those, these groups of, this group of people that he mentions, it's a group of believers that are gathered in Philemon's house in Colossae. So Philemon's a leader in the church in, in the Colossian church. A house church met at his house, and he's very wealthy, and it's very possible, this is very possible, we don't know this, but it's very possible that the Apostle Paul, when he sends this letter to Philemon, back with Onesimus, he's also sending the letter of Colossians with him. So Philemon is a very influential member of the Colossian church. Let's go down to verse 4 now. The Apostle Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So in these verses, we see Paul's description of Philemon in his prayer. That's number one right there. We see Paul's description of Philemon in his prayer. We learn a little bit about the character of Philemon. Paul begins to describe the love and the faith of Philemon. And what does he say? Well, first, next, next blank under, he says that Philemon was a man who loved Jesus Christ. He says, you love Jesus Christ. And then he says down in verse 5, looking again in verse 5, he says, because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So Philemon was a man who loved Jesus Christ, but he also had faith in Jesus Christ. And then we keep going down. Philemon was a man who loved the saints. So here's a simple thing that we can, if we could boil Philemon's character uh, character down, this is what Philemon, who he was. He loved God and he loved people. That was Philemon. He loved God and he loved people. Folks, if we could boil down what it means to be a Christian, to be a believer today, we could boil it down to two things, loving God and loving people. And that's who Philemon is. He loves God and loves people. But isn't it kind of funny that as we read this, it's kind of like the Apostle Paul's kissing up to Philemon a little bit, isn't it? He says, you've got this faith in Jesus. I've derived much joy from you. The Apostle Paul is really brilliant, right? He's kind of buttering, uh, uh, buttering, uh, buttering Philemon up here. And it would appear that Onesimus would be in good shape, right? If he's going to a man that loves God and loves people, surely Onesimus would be all right. Philemon, again, he's a church leader in Colossae. He loves people. He has faith in Jesus Christ. He serves the saints. He serves the Lord. But now let's get down into the nitty-gritty. All right? Let's cut through the bowl a little bit of the Apostle Paul uh, of, of kind of kissing up a little bit to Philemon. And so we want to know what happens to Onesimus and Philemon. So remember, Onesimus, he's stolen from Philemon. He's run away. But let's take a look. Now look down at verse 8. He says this, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, 
Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man. Come on, Paul. You really got to bring that into this. Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So with this chunk of scripture, we begin to see Paul's appeal for Onesimus. That's number two there. Paul's appeal for Onesimus. This section of Scripture, verses 8 through 14, it kind of brings through an idea of a courtroom. So kind of imagine this for a second. Though Paul and Philemon are not talking to each other personally, there's kind of this idea of a courtroom here, right? The Apostle Paul's kind of acting in a way as like a, a defense attorney for Onesimus, right? He's, he's appealing for Onesimus. And Philemon would kind of be like the prosecution here going on. So let's take a look at Paul's defense strategy for, the, for uh, Onesimus. Well, first, Paul sets aside his rights in the appeal. Paul sets aside his rights in the appeal. Because look again in verse 8 and 9. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. So the Apostle Paul, what he's doing here, he's laying aside his rights. And it's interesting that he says that. Because, because Paul, he makes a request here. He doesn't make a command to Philemon to take Onesimus back, but appeals to him. He's not telling Philemon what to do, but in a sense he's asking him here. But see, here's the thing. You might be sitting there saying, well, Adam, of course Paul has to do that. Onesimus was Philemon's property. But see, remember, Paul is an apostle. And he had the spiritual right to make a command here. Paul, as an apostle, had the right to command Philemon to take Onesimus back. He could have done that. He could have said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to take Onesimus back. But he doesn't do that. An apostle was seen as a representative of Jesus Christ. And what they said was taken as gospel, as law. But Paul, who is an apostle, he doesn't do that. He lays aside his right as an apostle and appeals to Philemon's love through Christ. So let's just pull back here for a second. So here we see some conflict, right? We see, some, we, we see a major issue here. There's some reconciliation in a relationship that needs to take place. And Paul lays aside his rights. So in times of conflict and disagreement, and that time, that's going to happen, right? Because we're human beings, we're not always going to get along. And families, and marriages, and churches, disagreement happens. It happens. But in order for reconciliation to take place, we must lay aside our own rights our own personal feelings in order for reconciliation to take place. Why? Because that's what Jesus Christ did for us. 
Jesus Christ laid aside his own rights. In Philippians 2, it talks about that though he had a right, that he had the right to be equal with God, right? Jesus could have said, I am equal with God, and he was. But Philippians 2, it says that he did not find equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus laid aside his rights. He came to earth as a human being and died on the cross for us. Jesus laid laid aside every right for us. So as followers of him, we should follow his example and lay aside our rights. So then we see here, coming down, that Paul claims that Onesimus was, that, that Paul was Onesimus' father. Look at the, again, verse down at the end of verse 9. He says, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. So that Paul is saying he's my child. Now, is Paul here saying that Onesimus is his biological son, yes or no? No, obviously not. But he's his spiritual son. He's saying, this is my spiritual son. I have led him to Christ. I have shared the gospel with him. I have told him about who Jesus is. And Onesimus has believed in Jesus. So Paul has a great interest in what's going to happen to Onesimus. So then Paul claims that Onesimus was a new slave. So the blank before that, Paul was a spiritual father to Onesimus, and then Paul claims that Onesimus was a new slave. He's brand new. Because look again at verse 11. He says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So Paul is insisting here, he's insisting to Philemon, that if he takes Onesimus back, that he's going to come back a new slave. There's going to be a transformation in his life. And that's the beauty of the gospel, right? That when we believe Jesus Christ and all he did on the cross and that he was resurrected, when we believe that, there is transformation that takes place. That's what belief in Jesus is. It's not historical belief, but it's belief in Jesus and where there's transformation takes place. Because if we believe Jesus and there's no transformation, there's not belief there. It hasn't taken place. Well, Paul says, Onesimus, there's been a transformation, that he's a new slave, that he was once worthless, but he's now useful. Now, there's a really interesting play on words here that the Apostle Paul is doing. Does anyone know what the name Onesimus means? It means useful. It means useful. So the Apostle Paul is now making a play on Onesimus' name here. He's saying he's going to come back a new a new slave. He's going to live up to his name now. He is going to be profitable. He is going to be useful. Onesimus would now work harder for Philemon. He would be trustworthy. He would no longer steal from his slave owner, but he would be a slave that would honor and submit to his slave owner. Again, the issue here is not to address the issue of slavery, but the relationship there. There's a transformation that would take place. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 3, verses 22 through 24, he said, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
So the Apostle Paul is not trying to say slavery is okay or not okay, though I believe deep down the Apostle Paul was not okay with slavery. He's trying to say, no, you slaves, you need to submit to your slave owners as you would to God. There's a relationship there. So Onesimus is now going to go, go from being useless to useful because of the, the, transform, the transformative work of the gospel in his life. And it's the same reality in every child of God. Because before we are reconciled with God, we're useless. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. So something that's dead is useless. So before salvation, we are useless. We are sinful. We are sinners, totally separated from God. We're rebellious towards God. But then God created a way for us to be reconciled for our relationship with him to be fixed through Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to conflict and interpersonal relationships with people, we must remember that our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are each bought with a price. And that's the blood of Jesus. And each one here that is a believer, they are priceless. So then finally, we can see Paul defer to Philemon in the appeal. Paul defers to Philemon in the appeal. Paul says in verse 12 through 13 that he's going to send Onesimus back. That he would be glad to use him as sort of, sort of a right-hand helper while Paul's in prison. Paul was saying, I could use him to deliver my letters from prison. I could use him. But he says in verse 14, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. So the Apostle Paul is going to send Onesimus back to Philemon. Onesimus was Philemon's property. Paul would have loved to have had Onesimus serve him and keep him safe and help him. Because honestly, as Onesimus is going to go back to Philemon, there is no guarantee on what's going to happen. There's no guarantee if Onesimus would survive it. We have, there's no guarantee, but Paul knew his obligation was to return Onesimus to Philemon. Now, let's go down to verse 15 through 20. He says, For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of, you, of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Don't you see how the gospel affects our relationships with people? The relationships are now defined differently because of the gospel. There's a new category created for relationships within the gospel. Because the Apostle Paul says in verse 15, he says, no, take him back no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. The cultural standing changes because of the gospel. 
because of Jesus Christ. So here we see that Paul's appeal for reconciliation of this relationship between slave and slave owner is motivated by the gospel. That's number three. Paul's appeal for reconciliation is completely motivated by the gospel. Because we see in verse 15 through 16, Paul asked Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a brother. Paul asked Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a brother, not as a slave, but as a brother. That's a transformation. That's a complete transformation. That is going from the identity of Onesimus being a slave to a brother of to a brother in Christ. That is transformation. And faith family, that is the gospel at its core. It is transformation. It changes everything. Everything changes because of the gospel. Everything changes. The human race is sinful. God sees us. Our relationship with him is broken, needs reconciliation. He sent Jesus. Jesus died for the sacrifice for that sin. And then Jesus was resurrected to give us brand new spiritual life. That is transformation. That is the heart of the gospel. And the gospel knows no identity. Because the reality is our identity as believers in Jesus Christ is not ourselves. It is Him. Everything we receive is in Jesus Christ. So our identity changes because of the gospel. And that is the gospel. It has every, every, it affects every human relationship. The gospel breaks through barriers like slavery and racism. It breaks through family relationships and personality conflicts. The gospel is what changes personal relationships. But here, Paul is pleading with Philemon to take Onesimus not as a slave, but as a brother. And here's the reality for Onesimus. As a slave, he had no rights. I mean, a slave is about as low as it goes on the totem pole, right? There is nowhere to go up on the totem pole. But Onesimus is now being, Paul is asking for Onesimus to receive not back as a slave, but as a family member because of the gospel. And if we are a believer, then we are family I mean, must we remember that? We've got a hustle here, so let's keep going down to verses uh, 17 through 19. Paul then states that he is willing to take responsibility for the actions of Onesimus. That's your next blank. Paul states that he is willing to take responsibility for the actions of Onesimus. He says, verse 17, So if you consider me your partner and receive him as you would receive me, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Which is funny because Paul had nothing. He's a prisoner, right? It's just funny how he talks sometimes. But the Apostle Paul says, if he owes you anything, if he's done anything wrong, charge it to me. And here's the reality for you and I. Because of the gospel, you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ, because of the gospel, you and I are responsible for each other's actions. Wow. Wow. That's what it means to be a church. That's what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. That because of the gospel, our relationships, our status has completely changed. Our identity, we all have the same identity, identity that's in Jesus Christ, and we are responsible for each other's actions. 
That's what fellowship is, is holding each other accountable for our actions. That means that when we see each other doing something that would not please God, that would not please um, the Lord, that would be li- living up to the gospel and what we have the call in our lives, we are called to call each other out on that. Our actions, we are held accountable for each other's actions. I've told this story before. I remember playing basketball in high school. If someone in practice would do something wrong, what would the coach do? He'd make all of us run. Not just one of us run. I always was mad about that. Well, he's the one who messed up. He's the one who's supposed to run. No, we all were run. Why? Because as teammates, we were accountable for each other's actions. Folks, because of the gospel, because we all have the same identity in Jesus Christ, we are to hold each other accountable for our actions. James even writes, he says, confess your sins to one another. That is spiritual family relationships. Like I said, we've got to hustle here. Let's keep going here. So the love that Paul had for Onesimus, he says, I'm being, I am willing to be held accountable for his actions. And then finally, reconciliation would refresh Paul's spirit. He says in verse 20, he says in verse 20, he says this, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. See, here's the beauty of spiritual relationships that you and I have as brothers and sisters in Christ. is that we would refresh each other's hearts. That we should, through our relationships together as brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ, we should receive refreshment from each other. My prayer is that we would refresh each other's hearts as a church family. That is when people come here, that they would walk away refreshed. That we would have the spirit of reconciliation. That when people step foot in this building, where we gather as a body of believers, that people's spirits would be refreshed. No matter how big the hurt in their life. No matter what's taken place in their life, no matter what social status they may have, no matter how big a conflict they might be walking through, that we as a faith family would have the spirit of reconciliation. Let's keep going now to verse 21 and 22, and then we're done. The Apostle Paul writes to Philemon, he says, Confident of your obedience... I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously giving to you. So the Apostle Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, and what happens? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know if Onesimus goes back and has to face some form of punishment, We don't know if Onesimus goes back and faces the death penalty. But can I give you just a little speculation on my part? I think Philemon takes Onesimus back as a brother. I believe that. I believe that. Because Paul closes out his letter. Isn't this funny how Paul writes? He writes out, he says, I am confident of your obedience. He says he is confident of Philemon's obedience. That's kind of passive-aggressive, isn't it? Verse 21, he says, confident of your obedience. 
I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. That's assuming some things, isn't it? Isn't it? But I think Paul, deep down, knew Philemon's heart, knew Philemon's love for God, his love for people, and that he was going to take Philemon back. And I believe that's what happened. I truly believe that. And because of reconciliation, because of reconciliation, reconciliation, relationships is at the heart of the gospel. See, the gospel is not just simply the fact that we're sinners, Jesus died for us, and, we're, and, he, re, and he was resurrected to give us a brand new spiritual life. No, there's relationship with God. There's relationship with people. And that is the beauty of the gospel. So here is my question for you. After we've gone now walked through this entire book of Philemon, I have two questions I want to ask each of us, and then we're done. First, have you been reconciled to God? Has your relationship with God been fixed? Because the reality is we're each sinful. We're each sinful. We're each separated from God. Our relationship with God is broken. So has your relationship with God been reconciled? Have you trusted and believed in the work of Jesus Christ? And then if we have, we must be willing to follow the words and encouragement of the Apostle Paul. That we would reconcile and maintain relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would be held accountable for the actions of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would not hold grudges. That we would not seek revenge with one another. But accept each other as family and then hold each other accountable with our actions. And when we do that, here is the reality. When we do that, when our human, rela- when our human relationships... Reflect this, it reflects the gospel. And then the world sees the gospel in our lives. And people look and they say, they are different. Their relationships are not the same as other relationships going on in our world. Their relationships are different. And then the Holy Spirit can use that to open the eyes of people for their need of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for the gospel, and we thank you for the way the gospel impacts our human relationships. That because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we don't have just regular human relationships, but that because of our reconciled relationship to you, our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ is so very important. And so I pray, God, that if there's anyone here that is facing some kind of broken relationship, whether it's family, whether it's another brother or sister here in our faith family here at Leewood, that they would seek reconciliation out. And I, Father, I pray that you would help us as a church family to understand the reality that we are each responsible for each other's actions. And that through our relationships here as a faith family here at Leewood, that the world would know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, that their relationship with you has not been reconciled. I pray that because of your word that they've seen and heard here in Philemon, that they would be motivated, that you would open their eyes to the need of salvation and that their relationship with you would be reconciled and fixed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.